Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This week the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Lee Daniels of the Butler, Wadja, Enough Said, and more. As part of the Bookshelf's 40th anniversary reading series, author Lyle Estel reads from his new book, Small Stories, Big Changes, Agents of Change on the Front Lines of Sustainability. That reading taking place on November 8th up at the E-Bar. And on November 10th at the E-Bar, musician Jeff Berner launches his new novel, Festival Man, with a concert featuring Bob Wiseman and Jenny Omnicord. The Bookshelf is located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, for more information about all the things I just said, visit bookshelf.ca. Creative Control with Vish Hey, it's another beautiful, sunny, crisp, blue sky day in Guelph, Ontario, and I'm doing well. You know, I woke up uh, today, and one of the first things my two-year-old son said to me is, uh, Papa, I saved you half of a pecan butter tart, and... It sounds very sweet of him to say that, but it's really just a ploy to distract me from the fact that he ate the other half of the last pecan butter tart. He eats all my pecan butter tarts, and it makes me a little nuts. But it's fine. He's a growing boy. He should eat that sugary, buttery stuff. On the show today, Hal Gelb, the legendary Hal Gelb and I, have a really fun conversation about time, coincidences, the desert, all sorts of things. Riders on the Storm by the Doors. It's a good conversation. I'm pretty happy with it. And at one point, he mistakes me for a... uh, Over the phone, he mistakes me for another brown broadcaster, which I thought was weird. But still, maybe a compliment. I don't know. Depends on your perspective, I guess. I'll I'll take it as a compliment. And uh, yeah, it's a good conversation. You're going to hear a new song from his new album uh, and, uh, and other stuff, too. So here it is. Myself, Hal Gelb, having a chat... Please enjoy, and uh, please save me a pecan butter tart. It's really vexing when you eat them all. After the surprising and exhilarating success of last year's Long Winter Art Series in Toronto which was a monthly night of immersive and interactive music, visual art, installation, comedy, readings, food, dance, all of it. Originally conceived and produced by members of Fucked Up, 
a team of organizers is pleased to present Year 2, featuring five more months of programming reflecting Toronto's diverse arts and culture community. Volume 1 takes place Friday, November 8th at 7pm at the Great Hall, 1087 Queen Street West. It's all ages and pay what you can. And features uh, lots of great music, DJs, art, film, dance, and talk. There's the Long Winter Arcade, people playing games. There's food. There's a free vinyl record, a split 7-inch that's uh, coming out free to the first 350 people through the door. And much more. I'm hosting a talk show, Long Night with Vishkana, and my guests are going to be uh, Lou Barlow of Sebado and Dinosaur Jr., Edward Keenan, and possibly even more. That's taking place at 10 p.m. It's going to be great. It's a great night. If you want to learn more about it, torontolongwinter.com. Again, this Friday, November 8th is Volume 1. We'll see you there. Gelb is an immensely prolific and well-respected musician, singer, songwriter, and producer based in Tucson, Arizona. In the mid-1980s, Gelb founded a music collective called Giant Sand, which began a vast slew of collaborations that he continues to this day. Aside from Giant Sand, he's operated under Arizona Amp and Alternator, the band of Blanky Ranchette, OP8, and under his own name. The latest How Gelb record is a lovely and evocative one called the Coincidentalist and features an all-star guest list, including Sonic Youth's Steve Shelley on drums, M. Ward on guitar, and featured appearances by the likes of Bonnie Prince Billy, K.T. Tunstall, Andrew Bird, and John Rauhaus, among others. The Coincidentalist is available via New West Records on November 4th, and here now to discuss it further is, is Hal Gelb. Hello, Hal. How are you? How you doing, man? <laughs> Very good. How you doing? I'm well. Where are you? Where in the world are you? I'm in Tucson. Home. You're home. That's good. It's one more day, and then we're off tomorrow. Okay. That's good. It's good to enjoy your time at home. You know, people associate you with the, the, the with the desert, and and that's all well and good, but on, on your on the song Vertexas, the first song in your new record, you sing that things used to be better in the desert. Uh, what happened to the desert, How? Uh, retirement. Oh, too many people, I think, moving here. It's not the retired folks, actually. I think for you guys, it's uh, Vancouver Island, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, people go out there uh, towards the end. The climate's so good, yeah. yeah. We were up there last year. It was beautiful. Yeah. But um, down here, it's not the retirement people that are overpopulating it. It's all the... In the mid-'90s, it was all the Californians after the last big quake there, the Whitaker quake. And then the house got bought up and... Uh, the sleepy town got unsleepy. It used to be dead here in the summer, no traffic. You didn't really need air conditioning in your car then, but now you do because of the snarl. <laughs> well, you mentioned in that same song, or I mean, the, the, some of the lyrics are that the clocks are stuck and rewind, and that uh, the the and in terms of the narrator of the song, which you know it's split between your voice and Bonnie Prince Billy's voice, but. Uh, there's a li- line about living on Tucson time, and I was just curious what that means. Does that mean you're living in a time in Tucson before these people invaded your uh, your town? Uh, well, see that. No, it, Tucson Tucson time refers to uh, 
um, it's a cultural tradition to be a lazy bastard here in the desert, and some of it, some of us have mastered the art early on, and that's uh, Tucson time is not quite as slow as Indian time. More Indian time is if you're waiting for to meet someone, it will happen eventually. Probably not today. Tucson time is more. Uh, it'll happen today, but it'll probably be way later. Um, as opposed to anything northern. My wife is from Scandinavia, and they are re- always early, ridiculously on time. Huh. I think I think the climate thing. Because um, the more north you are, the more dangerous it is waiting for somebody. I see. That's <laughs> true. That's a good point. I. I, I... Mm. When you say Indian time, should I be offended as an Indian? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what they call it. Okay. Um, when you say uh, they, do you mean white people or do you mean Indians? I mean everybody except for me. Everybody calls it. Uh, it's a traditional thing. When I was out in Spain, uh, the gypsies I played with were on the same time somewhere between Indian time and Tucson time, which was very comfortable. And my friend from Denmark who was with me looked quite nervous to have to deal with us being so late for the plane or leaving so late for the plane. But those of us who are accustomed to when it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. Like the gypsies. We're cool. You kind of know it's sort of a... We try not to insult the future by planning. Right. You actually, you, on that on the same song for Texas, as I mentioned, you have Bonnie Prince Billy singing about coming from a long line of coincidence, which I, I imagine he might appreciate, given how many unique and strange things have happened to him in terms of, of timing. And I don't have time to go through the litany myself. I just know that every time I talk to him, uh, we, we end up having a conversation about something strange that's happened and something that might be faded, something that just comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I'm just curious, where did that phrase come from, coming from a long line of coincidence? Uh, well, at some point, I realized everything I planned um, would turn out more difficult or wrong. And if I let things occur and read the coincidence, then uh, it showed me a a better path or at least a better momentum through all uh, all my days. So I'm only only owning up for that moment of how I uh, of how I live my days. And um it's not so important what the coincidence is, it's just it's a matter of when they happen in abundance. Um, and they seem to happen a lot down here. For some reason, so the song itself for Texas is talking about Tucson, kind of making fun of all the people that call it a vortex in various parts of Arizona. But uh, at the same time, being tribute. Well, what is the difference between uh, waking up and and uh, recognizing a coincidence and uh, and waking up and just living your life? I feel like sometimes every day is kind of a weird coincidence. I don't know how to talk about this without sounding like some philosophy student, but it kind of feels like that to me sometimes. And I'm just curious, when you kind of hone in on those coincidences, like you're talking about honing in on them, but not 
delving into them, accepting them, right? Yeah, I think it's a mistake if you try to figure them out. I don't think it's about that. Okay. I don't think it's about the meaning of why or why did these two... You know, when a coincidence happened, there's like sacred timing uh, occurring. Uh, two, let's say it's two people meet coincidentally at a certain moment when they're both traveling. And it's just at that exact moment that you meet each other. And it's not about why you two met, but it's just the fact that it happened at all. And when a, a few of these happen, you could kind of, you begin to kind of figure things out a little bit and know what you're supposed to do next. Yeah, that's no. I I can't speak for everybody. No, no, and that's I I understand what you're saying, but I'm trying to get at the idea that maybe every single life is a coincidence. I don't know how to articulate this. It's just occurring to me now, but it feels like if you really think about it, everything that happens is just kind of happening, and it's kind of connected to everything else. It -hmm. is. So maybe maybe all of our lives are just one fleshy coincidence. Well, there it's definitely there. It's just a matter if you see it or not. And again, you don't want to, it's not my position or to shout it out to anyone how to live their life, but it's there if you want to. For people like me, it makes makes me feel more comfortable than it does if I ever try to plan things out. Okay. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know what that is, if it's some curse in, in my ancestry or, or if, it's a, if it's a blessing. Um, but you kind of figure it out after a while. You kind of bump your head on life enough times. You go, oh, wait a minute. You know, it's not, we're not supposed to take control. I don't think we're supposed to take control of our days or our, our future. Instead, let the days roll through and and you'll know what to do. Just by, it's an art of improvisation. Improvisation, okay. So you what? Know, and being okay with accidents and stance. All right. And but- it's that way, It's it's always been that way in, in our music over the last three decades hmm. where the imp- improvisation isn't in the solo. It's in how we assemble a song every night and what, what changes we allow to happen within the song or what changes will welcome us in. So what's the, what's the relationship between a coincidence and fate? Well, I reckon, yeah, and you probably should throw in destiny in there too. I, they all have different names. They probably all have different flavors. Um, the end result will be destiny. Um, fate will determine what coincidences occur, and coincidences are are the particles of, of involvement that get you there. Someone's that up. I just made up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I don't really know. It's a but, ma- it's a mathematical equation. You've come up with like a theorem that probably again some philosophy students are, knows probably knows the answer to this. I just don't know. Yeah, just enough to keep people busy until the next song plays. <laughs> hey, you did a great, by the way, you did a great, great interview with Leonard Cohen. Um, I, I at did? His house. No, that, was, that wasn't me. That was uh, a different uh, guy. That was Gian Gomeshi. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no. It's, it happens. Uh, just, no one, very rarely does someone confuse me with Gian Gomeshi uh, sight unseen. Uh, so well, you, you have a similar accent. Similar accent. Well, we're Canadian. We have a Canadian accents. Maybe that's what. It yeah, is. and the meter, the meter of how you're speaking seemed. That's what started to remind me of the, that YouTube 
interview I saw a while back, and you have the same beat and meter when you talk. Well, we used to work for the same company. I don't anymore. He still does. Maybe I'll go back there someday. You never know. But yeah, that's that's a possibility. It's well, well you almost had a great Leonard Cohen. <laughs> I met, you know, I met Leonard Cohen. If you go to my Facebook, there's a photo of me with Leonard Cohen, but I didn't get to talk to him. I I just realized recently how. You know, I used to think that guy never liked to make albums. So in the beginning, I never as serious as, say, Neil Young or Bob Dylan, because um, he made them so infrequently. And then later, well, recently, actually, I read the book on his life by Sylvie Simmons, and I was so impressed with the way he went about writing songs. Um, he would allow the songs to take their own time to be done. Their own harvest time took years. Yeah. This is something that never occurred to me before, and now I'm thinking I've done it all wrong all these years because you know, like more like Neil Young would do it so fast, and and I thought that's what you had to do. And when when I first started, when I got it up and running, was to write very quickly. Whenever we needed another record, whenever we needed to tour, I would just throw together a quick record. And then now I'm listening to Leonard's songs, and I'm just blown away by each one of them. Are you coming to Leonard kind of late? Is that what it is? Yeah, sorry. Huh. As per usual. I told you, I'm on my own time. (laughs) (laughs) You're on Tucson time. Well, I actually hear a bit of Leonard on this new record. I mean, some of the easy markers are probably kind of like the way backup singers are employed, uh, you know, particularly female backup singers, some instrumentation, your voice, your phrasing. Do you think he's seeped into this record in some way? Hmm. I could see the um, connections now. Um, it was after this was recorded where I read the book and then I started delving into his catalog. And there are similarities maybe with uh, some of the production, but just barely. Hmm. You know, I mean, the, if you take Vortex, it's the chord structure maybe, but he's never used a Wurlitzer before. Right. I haven't heard a song where he used a Wurlitzer. And he did have the two backing vocals, or three, which I've used for the first time on this record. And we are both Kohen, so that might have something in the DNA that's sizzling forth way up here in the future. Hmm. But uh, I can't say that a similar life or or had the same same experiences, except my wife's cousin (laughs) apparently lived next to him on Hydra. I just found out. Oh. And her, her her kids grew up, and um, one of them just um, just uh, translated Marianne's book for Canada. Oh. So uh, that was a that was a coincidence. That's another coincidence. Yeah. All right. I, did, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. So you have you have a coincidental connection to Leonard Cohen. Uh, yeah. Sort of. But I guess everybody kind of. Yeah, we all kind of. We all sort of do. Maybe. <laughs> Leonard Cohen on the way yeah. That's yeah. six degrees of separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking- I'm glad you talked about Fort Texas so much. That's very sweet to, to be that indulgent for just the one song. Well, no, I, I, well, I wanted to talk about. I've just noticed a few themes on the on the record, but that one, uh, that song to me, uh, well, obviously it's the introduction, and and when yeah. I think of the record, I'm I'm hearing lots of references to time, um, and that's kind of what I was getting at with my rambly mention of of time and what it might mean to you because from vortex is on i mean on left of center there's uh 
There's this, oh, yeah. uh, there's just, uh, and then running behind is a reference to time, you know. And oh, that's an anthem. Yeah, there you go. So there's just all these things about time. I'm curious what your relationship with time is like these days. Well, everyone in all my life has always given me hell for being late, as if I could help it. And I've, I've looked into it several times. I'm, I'll, I'll be 57 this month. Oh, it's happy, nothing I've taken. Happy it's birthday. Nothing I've taken lightly. Thank you. <laughs> and. And uh, and I realized that somewhere they've been like along the way of this span of existence, they've been giving out um, quality names to new diseases um, or probably old diseases and new names. They've been, you know, uh, charging children in school for reasons why they can't pay attention to certain things or they can't. They're all over the place, and they've they've been able to. So, oh yeah, well. That child has ADD and um, several other kinds of attention disorders, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's always we used to call it dyslexia when I was growing up. Uh-huh. If you got things backwards, and uh, there's also something about being late that's integral in the brain that they haven't came up, come up with a name yet for. And I was hoping, I was hoping that they would uh, deliver me from the pounding I get uh, before. It doesn't matter anymore, and they just write me off because of dementia. But but it's never been done. So I'm here to uh, point out that there is indeed something inside of us um, that fails to dial in the exact moment of appearance. And I cannot tell you why my brain does this, but it does it. And I, I think one of the reasons why I, when I when I was delivered to the desert. In 72, that I found it comfortable because things here are just slower, way slower. And there was a time I lived way up in uh, Joshua Tree Desert in the uh, late 80s, and things there were even more slow. And it has a deal, it has a comfort, and I can handle it. I don't miss my airplanes, but I get to them dangerously late. Right. This is and, what this is what I was going to say because I was I'm relating to you on a few levels. I am often. Uh, I do a thing where I'm late, which uh, signifies slow, right? But then, in order to make up for the slowness, I go very fast. Do you do that? Mm. Do you, I, I, if I'm late, I'll, I'll, if I have to be somewhere at nine, it's an hour away. I might leave at eight fifteen, but I will, or eight thirty. Oh. I'll just leave late, and then I'll, I'll drive as fast as I possibly can. I'll ride my bike as fast as I possibly can. So then I just. That's a weird thing. That's a weird relationship. It's yeah. like I, I know it happens all the time, but I can't yeah, make I, myself leave at the time I should probably leave. I think maybe maybe there is something in your heritage that just you know that you're you've you're really um, still pissed off that you have to be somewhere at an exact moment. Whoever whoever established that thing. I mean, I was born premature. Like, I was born premature. So really, like several weeks huh. premature. So I was actually quite early. See, I was born late. I was several weeks late. Ah. In fact, they had to yank me out with forceps. Right. I think it was a matter of, they knew I could, somebody somewhere in, in the realm of destiny knew I, I couldn't at, own up to being a Scorpio. So they yanked me out with a pair of pliers to become a, a Libra, but only at the last minute. Yeah, that's not. See, I don't know what's wrong with us. Why can't we just leave when we're supposed to leave and get there on time? Are you like. If I'm supposed to meet somebody at nine, if we use your same example. I still believe, and still do right now, 
with all my heart that I could still get there at nine, even if it takes that much time to get there. And then once I see the clock hit nine, I go, shit, I'm supposed to be there now. <laughs> so what is that? And then I, I kind of will myself there. You know, it seems like I'm, I'm transponding myself to that point. And of course I'm going to be late, but the most important thing I think is you don't necessarily stress. You got to exercise, um, bringing your heart rate down, which isn't that hard for me. And I just kind of like get there directly, but, but not, um, I'm not a nervous wreck or anything. You got to, in fact, go the other way. You got to, Test yourself, challenge yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Calm down. I see what you're saying, but then on the other side of things, that mm. person that's waiting for us at nine, their heart, yeah. their heart rate's gone up. They're upset. They're going to be more upset than you and I, who are. I mean, I can't speak for me. I, I don't think I employ the same measure of calm that you're describing. But I would, I would be like, ah, I'd be frantic. I'd be trying to get there. Then I get there all harried, and they're like, you're late. They're upset. I'm upset. It's awkward. You you you're saying you just stroll in at nine forty five and you're like, hey, I don't know. Well, I don't know what happened. I was, you know, times a force. Yeah, I just um, you get that reputation after a while, and it's not as if you have a choice. Hmm. And those those people you're supposed to meet, usually you find out they're late too, because <laughs> <laughs> you could call it a coincidence, but there's something in the grand scheme of things where man has always tried. And maybe it began with the Swiss. I don't know. The Swiss? The same You're going to blame yeah. the Swiss for this? All right, fine. That's fine. Well, they take responsibility of mastering the jewels of clock assembly. Yeah, no, I know where you're going with this. I just I don't think it's their... F- I, I, like the Swiss, would like to remain neutral on my blame. I don't think... <laughs> that's the way they re- remain, see? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. But they did... And they did give us a pretty good chocolate and a cuckoo clock. Yeah, it's true. The Swiss are no. Yeah, I I would like to salute the Swiss. Like I'm, right qu- I'm quoting the third man now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. All right. Well, do you um, you mentioned your upbringing somewhere in in the midst of all of this? Do you actually remember what first inspired you to become interested in music as a fan and then as a player? Um, I remember. Hearing music from a clock radio. I, li- I was born in Pennsylvania, and um, a clock radio. Did you just say a clock? What is with time? Yeah. You and time. I don't get it, man. This is getting weird. Oh, you're right. I didn't even see that coming. <laughs> and this is why. This is the only therapy I can afford. Are these interviews? <laughs> Good. Thank I'm happy to help. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs> That's it. Began right then and there. Began the dichotomy, right there. <laughs> well, what, what can you tell me? Were you, clock radio. You're listening to clock radio. What happened? Uh, the music that was coming out of it. I remember being 12, and and it just it was starting to get under my skin. And uh, we had a piano in the house. Couldn't make the piano ever sound. I could barely play it, but I couldn't make it sound like anything that sounded from what was happening on the radio, at least the music I was listening to. And so that, that I asked for piano lessons, and I started taking them, and they were very painful for probably because my eyes were messed up, and, and I'm probably dyslexic, yeah, and I've got that late thing, and, and I, I couldn't handle the, the beef and polywally doodle 
and I, I didn't never practiced until the teacher came to the house back then, and and it was terrible, and I was just because it sounded like nothing on the radio, and and then a, a big flood came and smashed the piano to bits, almost biblical style, huh. and it, uh, waters over the roof of the house. Really, was the river was the Susquehanna, and uh, it was at that same moment my dad had remarried out in Arizona, and that's how I got to Arizona. And with flood relocation money, um, we got an. The, the, my parent, my mom bought me an electric piano, and with electric piano, I began it, things began to sound like more what I was hearing on the radio, hmm. um, and I was so happy. And I think the first song I learned was uh, "Riders on the Storm." Right. Right. Of course, staple, and no one recognized it, which was. <laughs> which was the second half of um, my shaping was that I must have had a tin ear. I couldn't, when I thought I had some melody, I mean, that's only a blues. There is no melody. And I thought, when I thought I had a cover mastered, nobody would recognize it. And thusly, no one would let me in their bands when I was a young high school teenager. So the only way I could exist in playing any music was to put my own songs. And that's how really it started. I see. Okay, so, huh. And did you did you discover at some point that uh, you didn't? Ne- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Necessarily have a tin ear that you were just. Did you, oh, I do. You do have a tin ear. Okay. Yeah. Have you gone back to Riders on the Storm since and tried to figure out if you actually know how to do it? I did. I have gone back. In the, the, the night I went back there, um, it was a it was a pivotal night for me because I had we were sort of set up. It was you could see it as the worst night uh, one ever had playing out live, and it was in Cordoba, Spain. It was during these uh, this flamenco. Um, it was a flamenco event, a festival of flamenco, and the fellow who invited me um, to play at it, I, it was the same guy who co-produced this record. The last solo record I did was called Alegrias, and it's uh, it's with these amazing, the most beautiful and masterful guitar players I've ever heard in my life. And they're just, it's not that they're common there, it's just that they're in multitude there. Um, uh, and they're gypsies, uh, flamenco playing gypsies in that region, in Andalusia. And 
when he invited me to come there to record this record, I thought that, uh, you know, I put it on the list of things to do that I would get to it eventually, right? And never made plans for it. And when that eventually happened, he was right. I was blown away. I felt more at home there than home here. Um, something, again, inked or sizzling in the DNA, something about Cordoba felt really familiar. Hmm. made this record on the roof of his house. He has a little shack. And every night the gypsies would come around one by one and we would get along really well. And my Spanish sucks and their English is non-existent. So we would connect with the music mm-hmm. and the laughter. And after a while, we put together this beautiful record. And on the record, I, I play no flamenco. And, and I, don't, I can't pretend to know those beats. They, they still sound, they make me dizzy. And this record is such a, a wonderful mix of what I do and how they attack the guitar and what I do. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, the record's out, gets great reviews all over Spain, but this flamenco festival put us in one of the headlining spots on this free outdoor um, uh, festival in front of about 10,000 people. And partly, or actually uh, mostly due to one of our guests, players on the record, this guy who's very famous named Raimundo Amador. Uh, he's the first guy to mix the blues with flamenco uh-huh. in Spain in the early 80s. He's an amazing, he's like a force of nature. Um, when his, when you sit next to him and watching his thumb move, it actually blurs. I've never seen that before. He has a muscle on his thumb like Popeye has on his arm. Wow. And, yeah, he's he's like a bull. And he's such a great guy. And also, he has we have a similar psychedelic upbringing um, from the 70s. And the, it was all about all the redneck. They have rednecks in Spain the way we have rednecks here. The way we used to have rednecks for country music, they have rednecks there, and the way they feel about flamenco. <laughs> okay. So, so when we got up to do our set, the crowd started uh, jeering, and the way they jeer is they start whistling. So they don't boo, they whistle. And every time I started to sing, um, they would start to whistle. And, you know, here when you start to whistle, people really like it. They're whistling like you know, really good. There, they're trying to overtake the sound. Mm. And I looked around and I went, what the hell's happening? And they go, yeah, it's not going well. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, we're in this position where we got to finish and set. And most of this crowd, 10,000 people, want to hear a real flamenco singer, and I'm not it. I've never been it. I could be, I've got the tin ear. I can't, I have to talk my way through a song. <laughs> uh-huh. So we get through, like halfway through the set, and I'm going to call the set short, because obviously this is not what the people want to hear. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, when you play in front of a street festival anyway, and you're just one name on the bill, uh, and it's a Finko festival, all they want, all those people out there are pretty drunk and high, and all they want is their Flamenco. I can understand that. And so I call the set short. I thought, wow, that was really something. It's quite a bit of energy. Never felt that before. So we leave the stage, but Raimundo stays, and Raimundo wants to play the blues. And they're all calling for Raimundo. And he picks up the guitar, and I go, come on, we're not going to let Ray out there alone. We're marching back out there. And we go out there, and Raimundo starts playing the blues, and I start backing him. We go into something in A minor. And uh, 
And then I sing the blues, and it's so funny because now the crowd is completely confused. It's a monstrous crowd. They're so huge, thousand people, and they've been wanting what they thought they wanted. They wanted their Raimundo, but Raimundo wants to play the blues. So now, in order to sing the blues, then they you get this authentic-sounding American fellow singing the blues. But that's they were complaining the American fellow wasn't authentic flamenco that they wanted Raimundo to be playing the guitar behind. Right. You know what I'm saying? So this was the the moment of truth in, uh, I think it did be Stranger in A minor. And then we got to the end of the song, and I thought, okay. And half the crowd was still whistling, and the wind was whipping up. Uh, something called Duende was out of control. And I thought, I'm going to use this power. And the wind and the whistling was swirling around, and I started blending with a chord and then punishing the crowd back with a million watts of power on droning one chord over and over. And Raimundo was playing like like the gods. He was noodling all over the place, and it was sounding somewhere between culture and Hendrix. Huh. And this went on, and I thought, nobody can stop me. I'm just going to keep doing this and shoving it back to the crowd. <laughs> shoving it back, shoving it back. And it was just such a cool force of energy. It was like we were building up a storm. And at some point I went over to the mic and I just started monotonely singing riders on storm. (laughs) This is like like 40 years later since I tried the song for the first time, riders on the storm, you know, just over and over. And then I just, boom, at some point ended it. And we all left, and it was <laughs> so great. Wow! The next day, it, the next day, that moment I mentioned earlier in this conversation, where me and the gypsies, the one Danish fellow, were leaving for the plane to Sevilla from Cordoba, and we were way too late to make the plane, and nobody's flinching. You know, it's just like, well, if we make it, we make it. And uh, and as we're leaving, we're waiting around. There's something to do there's always something else to do and we're, and i noticed there was a crumpled up piece of paper in my guitar case that's been there for years and years and years and i you know just like an old lyric sheet or something and for whatever reason at that moment i decided to, to pluck it out and see what was on that lyric sheet of course it was the lyrics to writers what come on no way really mm, yeah I'm a coincidentalist, man. That's how we were old. Are you, are you the coincidentalist? I feel like you're the coincidentalist now. You must be the coincidentalist. Well, I'm only taking charge of the instead of uh to point out that there is such a thing. Uh-huh. And then I'm sure people will discover the coincidentalist inside of them. <laughs> all right. One all can right. hope. You know, I was listening to your story, and I was also thinking about all the people that you've worked with. You're you're very renowned as a collaborator. We've been talking about time and coincidences. Do you find that being with other people is the most enjoyable uh, use of your time? Do you not like being on your own? Well, I love being on my own. That's that's the second half of living living Mm -hmm. in the desert. And it's how I grew up anyway, for whatever reasons, those first five years of your life seem to assemble 80% of your personality, they say. I was always alone then, so I'm always comfortable being really alone. But I I tend to celebrate being with um, friends I haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. 
utilizing some form of a recording or playing or some type of a music. It's good to be in that circle to visit somebody and at some point to be able to jam. Maybe maybe it's for the sake of not being able to talk the whole time because. Hmm. Well, you're communicating with your music, though, like you were saying, like you, you were in, yeah. in this flamenco band and you no one spoke English. Yeah. You couldn't really talk to each other, but you still communicated. Yeah, yeah. Something to that. Yeah. Um, so there's something that I think people do that they put on. I think we all do this. We we tend to, at some point, we're polite for a while. And there's um, involved in being polite. Uh, and then at some point, we start littering our conversation with um, things that have gone wrong in our lives or <laughs> things that are going wrong or may go wrong. And I think that's kind of downer in general that everybody has that in their lives. And you get too hung up on that, there may be whiskey involved or I don't know. So it, when you stay with music, you provide a better conversation and a, a more of an uplift, I think. And, and in general, I tend to believe that music better articulates our moods than any lyrics can. Lyrics will only ever come close, but music sometimes is more, um, well, more articulate. It just seems to describe how we're feeling uh, more correctly. Hmm. So the struggle with lyrics is always kind of a game. It's like, okay... We can turn the words on themselves a little bit. It's it's a useful tool to lyricize, but it's not really a... I wouldn't call it a science so much, but somehow with music, I think, you know, you've been listening to music since you were in the belly. I think our ears uh, were, are way ahead of the curve in the way our mind um, takes in the, the, the signals. Yeah. When we were in, in the belly of the womb, that's the only sense that began to um, step forward. All the other senses were preoccupied. They were still dormant. Uh, and you're in this um, uh, um, confine, which is a very conductive sound, and you're hearing the heartbeat constantly, which is probably why babies start to dance when they come out, you know, before they could walk. And you're hearing your mother, mother's voice, and you're hearing all this noise in the outside world, and it's all signals of sound coming through a volume of liquid that you're immersed in as your ears form. And I think we have an attachment way before our other senses to that which we call music when we do come out on this side of the womb. Huh. And it's and it's more, it, you know, we, we need it somehow. We need it. It's there in our films. Um, like crazy, we need that background music. Plus, it allows us to do anything else we do in our lives. It doesn't steal your complete attention away. You can be listening to music and doing anything else. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It's yeah. uh, yeah. We seem to like having soundtracks to our lives. I think you're right, huh? I don't know. I, 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 I do you have kids? You used to, you talked a lot about kids there, or well, babies. Do you, do you have any kids? Yeah, I have three. You have three kids. Three experiments. Yes. Well, there's a the I, the reason I I wonder about it because I I don't know like I don't know if you're just uh, there's a line in one of the songs, uh, and I I'm, I forgive me I can't pronounce the first word is it Pikachu? 
Picacho? Picacho break. And you, the, one of the lines is, the, the endless hours seem so finite. It's oh, yeah. you seem to have uh, reached some resolution with time, and I and that's where I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just curious where you're at. I, I I'm I, you know I don't know you how, uh, yeah. but I'm I'm slightly concerned. <laughs> well, that's all we should ever be is slightly concerned. <laughs> I can't be full. Of, I got my own. I got a kid. I got stuff to worry about myself, so I can't devote all of my concern to you. But I am at least vaguely slightly concerned. No, I'm also. I I think it's a. It's it's always interesting when someone sits back and actually looks back at this thing that we all deal with every day, which is time. And I think you've done a really wonderful job of that, of provoking ideas about it on this record. Oh, I'm so happy that that's what's hit you from this record. That's that has a worth to it that uh, that I didn't really expect. I mean, when you when you do these things, when you collect these songs from record to record. Sonic Harvest to Sonic Harvest. I don't really spend the time, just like the coincidences, trying to figure out what happened. I just go by you, my gut or whatever instinct is to say, okay, this is this is what good is this time around for me, uh-huh. and I'll deliver it. I'll take it to market. And the lyrics these days have been coming more and more slipstream, and. Like that song, Running Behind, when those lyrics pulled up, I was as much of an audience member as I was the entertainer. I wondered, like, where are they coming from? Or what, what is that about? And later, the lyrics have more meaning to them. And many songs, in fact, become true later. Um I've noticed that's starting to happen from a while ago. And so you have to be careful about what you let yourself write a little bit. Um, and I don't know why that is either. Um, and the thing about time, well, as an elder, you know, after you get over 50, you got to deliver a few nuggets, of not so much wisdom, but experience. You got to hand it back down like a baton, you know, and you can't be self-righteous about it. You just have to be informing in case somebody who hears it needed to hear it and they realize it once they heard it. Um, so about that being finite, the endless hours, because when we were younger, that's the way it seemed. It just seemed like you were capable, capable of getting bored. Yeah. This was before, uh, probably before uh, smartphones and the internet. But back then it still happened frequently enough because of your age and now as you get older you notice that the if river's like a time the current now is moving much more swift the waterfall must be just up ahead and once um, folks near and dear to you start passing away uh, the hours do become really short yeah around you so that's just that little nugget of information tossing out there to anyone who can who has the ears to hear it I suppose but if the hours are becoming more finite, maybe does that mean we should be on time? <laughs> maybe maybe we should. We should have never been on time to begin with. I see. It was a great mistake. <laughs> so no win situation really. No, it's only gonna. It's a, if the end of the world is imminent, and it's only gonna get us there faster. Right, 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 right. Okay, that's fair. Well, well, how? What? What else is coming up next for you? You are a very prolific man. I know this. Uh, what? What's coming up? You've got this new record coming out. 
and then uh, presumably some tour dates. Uh, is there any Canadian connections we need to know about coming up or anything else? I'm hoping to get up there, maybe in... Um, are you in Toronto? I'm just outside of Toronto. I'm in Ontario. Yeah, I'm in Guelph. I'm in Guelph, Ontario. Okay. Um, I, I made a great record in Ontario one time. Yeah, in Ottawa? Uh, yeah. Really enjoyed that. You that did? was so great. Was that with uh, that with Dave Draves? Dave Draves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, have you ever seen his studio in his I garage? Haven't. No, is it the little? It's Little Bullhorn, right? Little Bullhorn. Yeah. I haven't actually been out to the studio, no. But I know it's that it's the Millennium Falcon Studio. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's so fantastic. Um, it, as far as live. Uh, um, Shows coming up. There may be a Toronto show, solo Toronto show in December. Just now, trying to throw one together so I can get up there. Okay. In between Chicago and New York, I'm hoping for it. Uh, otherwise, it'll be next year. Okay. And in terms of other projects, uh, have you got something cooking? You get working with anybody? Uh, the, my other band is um, Giant Sand. It's become Giant Giant Sand. It's got way too many people in it now. <laughs> it's got. These young bucks from Tucson, some are 30 years my junior, that are fantastic. And uh, we have a, a series of dates in next month in Belgium that we're going to try to begin assembling the next album with. Okay. Um, and there's a box set. There's a, a label in London called Fire. Is insisting to put together a box set of all the solo records out before Christmas. Really? Holy cow! That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, it's only the solo albums, so there's, and it's only the official solo albums, so oh. there's only eight of. Okay. Okay. So, well, I don't know. I wish them good luck, and I'm assisting where I can, but I and I very much appreciate them organizing everything, because um, that's another skill I. Sure, that goes with the time disregard as well. I can I can imagine, but <laughs> uh, is it so? It's like a vinyl box. Is that the idea? I hope so. It'll at least be CDs. Okay. Um, but uh, I guess a vinyl would be nice. Yeah, no, that's cool. Well, that's right. That's great. I want to let people know once again how your new record, the the coincidental the coincidentalist, is available via New West Records on November fourth, and that you're playing select tour dates behind it. For more information, people can visit howgelb.com or newwestrecords.com. That's a new thing. New West, you're on a new label. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I had the record already done, as I'm apt to do, and then I usually license these things out. You know, it was just last February when I was getting done with a solo tour there, and I was thinking, as much as I like that London label, um, I need a better North American label. Mm -hmm. And so, because I'm getting a little old uh, to be flying so far, um, to go to Europe too much to to tour. Yeah. And, you know, the work is still great, but the commute just seems so long. And... I think the correct things for my remaining years, I, I needed to have a, uh, the right label here in the States, North America, to have me stay home more, and uh, or at least in the time zone, in the relative time zone. And, uh, and I'm, I 
I got sick for a day coming back home and had to push my flight back a day. And on that flight back home, uh, when I was connecting in London, was a representative from New West, Gary Briggs. And uh, he called my name. And I turned and he introduced himself. And I realized, well, you should be putting out this new, this new record. <laughs> and so we had a 10-hour meeting on the on the flight home. And that's how that happened. So, so it was a lovely coincidence. A coincidence. That, I knew you were going to say that word. What is going on with you, man? It's crazy. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, if we were going to play a song from the uh, Coincidentalist, what would you uh, recommend here for us, Hal? You could... You might want to play the title track. Um, it's we were gonna. I was actually gonna call it just simply the title track, but we ended up calling the coincidental coincidentalist. Right. Um, um, so you could play that. That might sum things up. Okay. Uh, it's only got a couple words in it, and then Andrew Bird had to be across the street. Sound check. So we. Uh, Called him to come over and he played a few strokes at the, the song just for good luck. I presume, based on everything we've discussed, that all of the guests that I've mentioned before uh, appear on this record by some form of uh, coincidence. They just happen to be around. It's kind of like you know that Chinese expression, "What you wish for, because you might get it." Yeah, yeah. It's very much like that. Anything that we set our mind to it seems to start putting those incidents in play mm. until they combine and become coincidences and and it, it was like that with everybody on this record you know Steve Shelley I've been talking about drums and sonic youth records and where they sit in the mix since the mid 80s when the, when the when the, uh, when the of the day were to have the drums way too loud in the mix and I would argue with our engineer and say this is where I want them to sit and um, and Matt Ward is an old buddy who gave me a demo tape at the turn of the street, and uh, and it was just so sweet to spend a little time with him because he's been so busy. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's just how it all comes together. You just think about it, and then it begins to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's all think about it and listen to this song, "The Coincidentalist." By Hal Gelb. Hal, it's a tremendous pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I thank you for your time. Time? Oh, my God. <laughs> Way to wrap it up, Ish. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.